month or so ago, Mandy and I were talking about a theme for this morning's all-age service, and, and Mandy suggested the armour of God, as this had come up with the youth. And what a great theme to explore. For some of our young folk, they will have never heard of the armour of God, and for the rest of us, it's a timely reminder, a booster shot, as it were. And the armour of God, that we know something about the armour of God and we're using it is very important. 1 Peter 6, 8 makes us very clear. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. This is life and death stuff, isn't it? The devil's always, always ready to pounce. But our instructions are clear. Resist, stand firm, have faith. And God has not left us defenceless. He has given us special armour. So let's not take the armour lightly, even though today is is a child-friendly service. The topic is deadly serious. And so, before we get into the armour itself and know how to use it effectively, there's a couple of things we need to look at. First of all, we're going to look at Satan and his tactics. You always need to know something about your enemy before you go into the fight. So we're going to have a review of Satan's tactics. And then we're going to look at God's response, because we're certainly not in this battle alone. And then finally, we'll get to our armour and how to use it. Satan and his tactics, God's response, our armour and how to use it. So Satan and his tactics. Now, out of the many different names and forms that the devil appears in the Bible... There are three that we will look at today, and they help define and help us understand his tactics. Now, Satan first appears in the Bible in the form of a serpent, a snake. Remember the story. Remember going back to Adam and Eve. They were recently created from dust. They were perfect in form, innocent in nature, and given free access to the most wonderful of gardens. And this garden was extensive and beautiful and overflowing with blessings. And in all this, there was only one restriction. God said to Adam and Eve, all the goodness of the garden is yours, except don't eat from two special trees. Every other blessing, and there are many, are yours, just not these two trees. Then in slides the devil in the form of a serpent. And what does he do? He lies. He undermines. He spreads falsehoods against God. And Eve is fooled and Adam as well. And from that day a great darkness entered the human heart as the mother and father of all mankind believed the lie and rebelled. This then is Satan's first tactic. He lies, especially in ways that put God in a bad light. He says things, if God was really good, you would have never had that accident. He would have looked after you. Or he'll say something like this, another lie. If God really loved you, you would have the perfect marriage. He's holding back. All sorts of lies he will introduce into our lives. Jesus referred to Satan at one stage as the father of lies. So this then is the first tactic that Satan will use against us. He lies. Now after lying, Satan loves to accuse In the original language, the word Satan is the same word for accuser. So Satan's name is accuser. 
And we see this most clearly in the story of Job that uh, Gemma read for us, only part of that story, but a key part of it. Job was a good man who loved God and he loved his family. He was hardworking. He was honest and fair in his dealings and he was blessed by God. Yet Satan accuses Job. He says to God, the only reason Job loves you is because you bless him. If you were to remove those blessings, if trouble came into his life, Job would drop you like a flesh. Job is not faithful, he's just selfish. And we see there that Satan is accusing Job before God. And that's his second tactic. His first tactic is to lie. His second one is to accuse. So you'll have something like this. You'll have had a bad day. And then a voice at the end of the day comes and says, call yourself a Christian, look at what you've done. God couldn't possibly love someone like you. Accuse, accuse, accuse. Why? Because the devil seeks to destroy. And this is the third tactic, to destroy. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. In the book of Revelation, the devil is called the destroyer. And we see this in our third image, the image of a lion. And this is referring back to 1 Peter chapter 6. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to destroy. Now, in biblical days, wild lions could still be found in isolated places. Ah, imagine that today. Imagine tramping up past Carrick Town and hearing the roar of a lion echoing among the hills. Imagine chatting to a shepherd from Bendigo Station at the Vic Arms and hearing him tell how the remains of some sheep he found the other day after a lion had eaten them. Now, in Jesus' day, Romans were busy capturing as many lions as they could to be used in the Colosseums against the gladiators. So by the third century, most of the Asiatic lions, the ones found in Palestine and around, had been captured and there were no more. But in Jesus' day, there were still many people who had heard the roar of a lion in the distance. And then shepherds had to keep a special watch on their flocks in isolated places. And so Peter, in his lesson, reminds us that Satan is like a, a lion who roars, and a lion who is hungry and always ready to get his teeth into any Christian he can. And so these are the three main tactics. There are others, but these are the three main tactics that Satan uses against us. As a serpent, he lies, he accuses, and as a lion, he seeks to destroy and devour. This is why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that's not against other people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms and in this world, Satan and his demons lie, accuse and seek to destroy. And our situation would be grim, hopeless in fact, if it were not for God's response. God's response. The good news is that God has delivered a fatal blow to that lying, accusing, would-be destroyer. Way back in the garden, as God dealt mercifully with Adam and Eve, he also cursed Satan. Way back in Genesis 3.15, Satan's fate is sealed with these words from God. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring. And the literal translation there in the original language is seed between you and uh, your offspring and hers. And he will crush 
your head and you will strike his heel. And this verse tells us there will be a time when the seed from a woman will come and crush Satan's head. But the seed, this child of a woman, it will come at a cost because they will be bitten by the serpent. And Genesis 3.15 is foretelling us about the time when Jesus came. And Jesus came and on the cross, Jesus crushed Satan's head. On the cross, Satan is mortally wounded, fatally wounded. But of course, Jesus had his heel bitten by the serpent. He died on the cross. And three days later, though, Christ was raised from the dead. Before Satan had time to dance on Jesus' grave, Jesus had been risen and Satan was totally defeated. The lying, accusing, destroying evil one is mortally wounded, totally defeated on the cross. And this is wonderfully described in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 from verse 10. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of this Christ. In this next bit, for the accuser of our brothers, accuses them before our God night and day, has been hurled down. The accuser who accuses us night and day before God has been hurled down. Satan has been defeated. The accuser has been hurled down. But there's a question in here, isn't there? If Satan is defeated, why do we need the armour? In fact, if Satan's defeated, why is there so much trouble in the world? Well, let me give you an illustration from a famous book, uh, a movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, the first in the Lord of the Rings series. And in this story, the fellowship is trapped in the mines of Moria, and they're escaping from hordes of evil orcs, and the heroes cross a perilous bridge to safety or so they think. But on the far side, out of the shadows, a giant Balrog strides, a fierce, fiery beast that lives in the very bowels of the mountain. And from the other side, Gandalf turns and calls. What does he call out, those Lord of the Rings fan? Do you know? You shall not pass. And then there's this amazing duel between Gandalf and the Balrog. Now, I had a much better picture than that, but when I ran that past Mandy and my wife, both of them said, you cannot put that picture up with children there. So this is the tamed-down picture of Gandalf and the Balrog fighting to the death over this perilous bridge. And the whip flicks, and the sword shines, and the battle is epic, until the Balrog is cast down into the abyss. And Gandalf and the fellowship think, all is well, we are saved. And do you know what happens, those who know the story? The long whip of fire gets flicked up and grabs Gandalf by the ankle and drags him down. So even though the Balrog was defeated and doomed, he could still do damage. And that's exactly the same with Satan. He has been hurled down, but he can still do damage. And so that is why we need the armour of God. A defeated Satan is not a harmless Satan. I mean, how many movies have you seen where the good guys have had this epic battle and the baddie's lying there and they think he's dead and they breathe a sigh of relief and then there's this movement and the baddie does something nasty. He shoots one of them or something. I mean, it's a very common theme, isn't it? Mortally wounded but still able to inflict damage. And that is why we need the armour of God. Okay, 
it's hard to express this clear enough. Satan is defeated, but he's not harmless. So we need to be on our guard. And so this brings us to the armour and the parts of the armour and how to use it. Now, some of the parts of the armour are easy to understand than others. However, their function is to protect us from Satan's lies, accusations, and the different ways he would destroy us. To help us put on the armour, to help us understand it, I'm going to use an e-book that um, Jan emailed to me during the week, and she's been using that with her kids' church, and I just love the graphics. And I also like the way the author, uh, Jill Kemp, ties each of the pieces of armour with the word of God. And so we'll go through each of the six pieces, which you can see here. We'll go through each of those six pieces, and I'll read the sentence or two that the author, Jill Kemp, has written, and then I'll say some other words about it. So the first of the armour is the belt of truth. And Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me that God's words are true, and I am to tell the truth, and I will do God's words. Yes, the belt of truth is God's truth. And God's truth protects us from the lies and the slander of the devil. And we get this truth from God's word. So this is our best protection against the lies and the accusation. But the belt of truth is also about us telling the truth. It's us deciding to live a life of truth. Even if it costs, I will speak the truth. That's the first, the belt of truth. The second is the the breastplate of righteousness. And Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me that God is good and right. Good choices make a good life. I choose to do what is right. Now, righteousness is a bit of a technical word, and it needs some explaining. Now, God's righteousness means he will always treat us right. God is righteous. He will treat us right. He doesn't treat us as we deserve, because if he, if he treated us like we deserve, we would all be lost. Not one of us could stand before a holy God. But he treats us right in light of the cross. Because of the cross, he treats us a certain way. And that's God's righteousness. And that's the breastplate that we put on, God's righteousness, God's view of us. And that view of God protects our heart. We have this wonderful image in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and particularly the New Testament, of the Father heart of God, that Father love. His righteousness, his love for us is the breastplate that protects us. But like the belt of truth, we also have to do something as well. For the belt of truth, we have God's truth, but we speak the truth. For the righteous, the breastplate of righteousness, we have God's righteousness, but we are righteous ourselves. So we treat God right, and we treat others right. We treat God right when we love him, worship him, and serve him. And we treat others right when we respect them and treat them with honesty and kindness. A breastplate of righteousness. Next we have shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. And Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me to be ready to tell people about Jesus. I will make peace with people I will show them God's love, the gospel of peace. When we ask Jesus into our lives, we have peace with God. But like the belt and the shield, we also give this peace to others. We tell others how they can have peace with God. Now these shoes are a little bit more interesting than they first appear 
because they're also for kicking Satan's butt. You see, whenever we tell someone about how to have peace with God, it's a major blow. Whenever someone decides to follow Jesus because we have told them about Jesus, either as a church or individual, it's a catastrophe for the devil. And so the shoes of peace are actually an attack weapon because as we go out and tell others about how to have peace with God, Satan's kingdom is pushed back. Telling others about Jesus is one of the best ways that we as Christians can go on the attack. Three down, three to go. Next is the shield of faith. Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me that God is always with me. I don't need to worry or be afraid. I will trust in God. Faith. Faith is trusting God's word is true. It trusts the verses and passages that talk about God loving us, about Christ dying for us, about how the Holy Spirit is working all things together for our good. And this confidence, this trust, this faith stops dead the fiery arrows that Satan fires at us, the lies and the accusations, the attempts to destroy. Now in the Bible days, some of the Roman soldiers had shields that had a leather outer coating and they would soak them in water so that when fiery arrows came and stuck into the shield, they would be extinguished, they would be put out. And that's what faith does. When we cling on, when we hang on to the promises of God, those fiery accusations of lies and slander and destruction are not only stopped, but they're put out. Next we have the helmet of salvation. Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me that Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus is my saviour and friend. I know that he loves me. And here we're talking about assurance of salvation, an assurance of salvation that protects our mind. Satan's always chipping away, always lying, accusing, niggling, seeking to destroy our confidence that God loves us, our confidence that God's rescued us, and now we are secure in God's kingdom. Now, whereas the breastplate protects our hearts, the helmet protects our heads. You see, a lot of our battle against the devil, against Satan, is in our mind in our attitude. Our mind is the, is the battlefield for these lies and accusation. So if we allow the lies to take root in our mind, then they can do a great deal of damage. But as we refuse to let Satan's accusations fester, linger, churn over in our minds, we are protected and we gain great strength for the battle. The helmet of salvation. And finally, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jill Kemp writes, The Bible tells me that God's words have power and will protect me. I will learn God's words. When we speak the word of God, we cut through the enemy's lies. We mortally wound his accusations against us. And like the shoes, they help us attack. The sword of the Spirit is an attacking weapon. Defence now becomes attack. And Jesus, who is our example in all of the armour, but especially when it comes to the sword of the Spirit. After Jesus' baptism, he was in the wilderness 40 days without food. And as that period came to an end, Satan came with temptations. Three. And to each twisted truth and accusation, Jesus responded with what? He quoted the Bible, a verse from the Bible. And each time Satan was defeated, 
until finally he departed humiliated. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God and is used to attack as well as to defend. Now much more could be said. Much more could be said about the armour. For instance, the armour is most effective when the soldiers join together and their shields link up. And so we best use our armour together. So a lot more could be said about the armour. A lot more could be said about Satan's tactics. We haven't talked about temptation. We haven't talked about how he loves to divide churches. Whenever a church is in division, Satan is having a, having, he's playing around. A lot more could be said, but we've covered the basics. We've looked at how Satan's core tactics against us are lying, accusing, and seeking to destroy. And we've seen that God hasn't left us defenseless. That on the cross, Satan was defeated and mortally wounded. But we're also seeing that even though he's mortally wounded, he can do harm. And that's why we need the whole armour of God. So, as you're praying, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, as it says in Ephesians 6.18, don't forget to use the armour. In your day-to-day dealings with people, make sure you have the belt of truth. When you have a bad day and a small voice in the back of your mind starts to accuse and belittle you, hold up the shield of faith. And always, always keep the sword of the Spirit close, sharp and rust-free. Or should I say dust-free? Keep it rust-free. Read God's Word. Memorise some key passage, just like Jesus had those passages memorised, and use them to parry Satan's lies and to set others free. Because we're on a rescue mission. Jesus has rescued us, transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his Son, and we continue that rescue mission, and he has given us the armour of God to do the job, to rescue others. Let's pray. Let's pray.